You interest me, 270G. You dress like a noblewoman, and yet you lack something. Something every one of our guests shows within minutes of walking through that door. Fear. You're not afraid of me. You are right. I do not fear you, and I am not your guest. Maybe not. Speak plainly. I am your prisoner, and this is an interrogation. At the end of it, one of us will be dead. Yes, and I will have the information that I need. stuff of legends, of fairy tales. But not to you, 270G. I do not understand you. There is little point in lying to me. This room is monitored with devices so sensitive and precise that they can detect the slightest change in your skin temperature or heartbeat. You know of the lost world. You know of its people. Should you lie to me, I can administer as much or as little pain as I require. You know of the lost world. Are you still not afraid, noble woman? I am no noble woman, and you are no warrior to face your enemy on uneven terms. I challenge you to remove your armor, and then we shall see which of us is afraid. <laughs> You're not my enemy. You're a nothing. A worthless female of your species who has no use as a soldier and has been kept alive for one reason. The Zednai require information, and you will provide it. These are my final days. You will tell me. The world that I came to call my home is gone, and with it, everything that stood between me and death. We know you walked Since I was brought to this place, every day my body has aged a year. I'm not afraid. Thanks to the doctor and to his people, I have lived longer than I ever dreamed possible. I have seen so much. Finally, I grow old. Yes, but I am enlightened and unafraid. On the world where I was born, there was a place that only the mightiest of warriors were allowed to go. A place revered even by the elders of my tribe, the Sevateen. They gave it a name, the Trofaroon. My mother told me stories about it when I was a child. She described it to me, a cavern in the very depths of the forest where the ancient founders of the Sevateen had buried the remains of our first and most noble warrior. After every battle, lost or won, 
Our forefathers had taken a symbol of the battle to the cave, an enemy skull, a weapon, a severed limb. And now the Trofaroon was so glutted with spirits of the dead that the forest itself rang with their howling. Long before I was cast out of the Severteen for blasphemy, I went there. I wanted to see the spirits of my ancestors, to hear their screams. I wanted to talk to them, to understand why they had taken my mother from me when she had served Zoannan all her life and never spoken ill of anyone, alive or dead. But I heard nothing and saw only a cave full of dirt and old bones and a metal sign like one of Neva's holy relics. On it were words, just shapes to me then, but I remembered them. Years later, the doctor decided to teach me to write, and I showed him the words. Trophy room, he told me. What is that? I asked. He circled the wooden desk at the centre of the room thoughtfully, flicking switches. Eventually, he stopped and smiled at me. Somewhere to keep cups, he said. Cups? Cricket cups, swimming cups, certificates, statues, that kind of thing. I've got one somewhere. Do you have many cups, Doctor? I asked. Oh, hundreds, he smiled. Remind me to show you one day. But first, we're going to dinner. It's about time I taught you some table manners. The doctor had set me free from the ignorance and superstitions of the Severteen. I did not know it then, but from what I have learned of him since, I believe he saw in me a kindred spirit. He too had rejected the rigid beliefs of his people. He too had dreamed of stepping onto other worlds, breathing strange new air and seeing the wonders of the universe. My people refused to believe that there could be life beyond their world. The Time Lords knew it existed, but preferred to observe rather than touch it, feel it as he did. The Doctor let me travel with him, but there was a price. He wanted to educate me. He wanted to change me from a savage into a... Oh, what was it? Um, an Eliza Doolittle. This meant no hunting, learning to read, write, and, most importantly, how to hold a knife and fork. This I did not do well. Well, really. We were sitting at the table of Lord Douglas, a straight-backed man with an absurd moustache, and Lady Douglas, a straight-backed woman who had a nose like a hawk. Their tiresome daughter, Jessica, giggled every time I spoke or moved. Had the doctor not forbidden me to carry them, I would have happily stabbed her with a Janus thorn. That would have shut her up. A strange old man with the face of a corpse had served our food. He stooped to pick up my fork, which had fallen to the floor, and frowned as I carved a large chunk of meat from the carcass with his larger and more effective knife. This meat has no taste, I complained. The animal was too old when you killed it. Remembering the doctor's words about cleanliness in Edwardian England, I wiped my hands on the tablecloth, which prompted another outburst from the daughter. Jessica, Lady Douglas hissed like a hoarder. 
This one's got a bit of pluck on her, Doctor, Lord Douglas said, smiling. Where did you pick her up from? My name is Leela of the Severteam, I announced. And you, I pointed the knife at the girl, are extremely annoying. Jessica and Lady Douglas gasped. Lord Douglas laughed, slapping his hand on the table. You tell her, old girl, he guffawed. Joshua, said Lady Douglas, I will not countenance a member of my family being spoken to in that manner in my house. Williams, she addressed the corpse man without looking at him. I want you to take Miss Leela down to the servants' hall. I think it would be more appropriate for her to dine there. I stood. Is the meat in the servants' hall fresher than this? I asked corpse man, who seemed too shocked to answer. If it is, I shall eat there. If it is not, I shall hunt for my own supper. The doctor, who'd been strangely silent during the meal, made no attempt to stop me as I sheathed the knife and stormed out of the room. Looking back defiantly, I saw him lean forward and, staring at Lord Douglas, say, Joshua, we need to talk. The house smelled of decay, of dust, dying plants in unnaturally shining pots. Long, narrow corridors lined with wood and heavy curtains. Paintings of straight-backed men and women who all looked as dead as Williams. If this was truly what the doctor wished me to become, then I was having none of it. I froze as a distant sound filled me. Williams shuffled on ahead. Without even a breath, I drew the knife and waited for the sound to come again. But there was none. Then the silence was broken by the irritating twittering of the women emerging from the dining room. Well, said Lady Douglas, catching sight of me, there she is, carving knife and all. Jessica let out a small shriek. Remember what your father said, Lady Douglas warned. Oh, Mama, do I have to? She's so ghastly. Jessica, her mother snapped, and pouting, the girl walked over to me. Lady Douglas nodded and strutted upstairs. My father wants me to show you the house and gardens, Jessica sighed. He seems to think we can learn from each other. <sighs> there is nothing you can teach me, I replied. Jessica nodded. I agree entirely, but Papa and your uncle seem to think it was a good idea, so who are we to argue? We're only women, after all. You mean no females disagree with the men of your tribe? I asked her, remembering the shouting matches I'd had with Thomas and my father as a child. Then how do you learn? Jessica looked shocked again. We learn by example. And from books, of course. Do you have a favourite author? My father insists that I should read Mr Hardy's work, but to be honest, I prefer Mr Kipling's. The doctor is teaching me to read about two very stupid children who have a dog and a ball, I told her, and then changed the subject. What is down there? I pointed towards the floor. Jessica looked puzzled. Only the servants' hall and the cellars, she replied. Why? Something is trapped down there. I felt its pain. Take me down there. Jessica's eyes widened. I'm not allowed downstairs, and even if I was, I wouldn't go. It wouldn't be right. Because your father has said so, I suggested. No, Jessica replied. 
and for the first time I sensed a little sadness in her voice. Papa would be the first to encourage me to mix with the servants. Since he returned from his trip, his views have become somewhat eccentric. Mama despairs of him sometimes. I think she blames your uncle and his friends, if truth were told. The doctor is not my uncle, and I do not understand how your father's views can be his fault. Jessica's eyes widened further. You mean you didn't know? she asked. Did not know what? The girl was trying my patience more than ever. About their trip? Your father travelled with the doctor? Not him, no, she replied. The man he went with was much older, but he was also a doctor, and he also carried a blue box with him. I think they must be in some kind of gentleman's society. The journey changed Papa in so many ways. He was only gone for a year, but when he returned, Papa looked ten years older. His hair was grey, his skin darker, his clothing most peculiar, and he even spoke in an English neither of us understood. I would never dream of telling Mama, but Jeanette, that's my lady's maid, she said that they hadn't gone to Peru at all, but that your uncle, um, that the doctor had bewitched him. Then Jeanette is stupid, I said. Now, show me how to get down there. After a little more whining, I persuaded Jessica to take me down to the servants' hall, a small dark room with a large wooden table and metal cooking devices that were still warm to the touch. Two young girls, dressed in black and white, whispered to each other as we walked into the room. Ignoring Jessica's protests, I opened another door, which revealed a dark, narrow corridor. The walls were made of damp stone, the air was cold. This was where the cry had come from, without a doubt. You can't go in there! Jessica squealed from behind me. Nobody's allowed in there, not even the servants. Leela, if Papa or Williams catches us... I do not understand you, I interrupted. This is your home, and yet there are rooms you cannot enter. Your father has changed, and yet you do not question him. You obey men without protest, even when you know they are wrong? Then seeing the fear in her eyes, I softened. If you truly wish to learn, then join me. Learn not through reading, but through experience. There was a thick red curtain at the end of the corridor. I drew it aside to reveal a dark wooden door. What's behind this? Jessica, who had followed me, looked afraid. Nobody knows. Nobody dares go in there. Jeanette said that the last mate to go in there never came out. There is someone in there, I whispered. But there can't be, Jessica argued. Did you not hear the cry? There. She shook her head. I didn't hear anything, Leela. I'm I tried to open the door, but it was locked. I asked Jessica where the key was. There isn't one, she trembled. Jeanette says that it's locked from the inside. She says that the maid locked herself in with the only key and that at night you can hear her clawing against the door trying to get out. 
told you before, Jeanette is stupid. If the maid had the only key, then she would not try to claw her way out. She would use it to open the door. This did not comfort Jessica, who had started to emit little sobbing noises that were almost as annoying as her giggling had been. Feeling the howling from behind the door surge through me once again, I pushed past Jessica into the kitchen where, to her horror, I picked up a large axe lying beside a neat pile of firewood. Returning quickly to the door, I swung the axe and broke it down. The room beyond the broken door was pitch black and felt even colder than the corridor, though less damp. There was a rancid smell I did not recognise. Jessica did. Mothballs, she whispered. We need to see what is in here. I will fetch a stick from the fire. There's no need, said Jessica. The room suddenly filled with a flickering bright light. Jessica seemed surprised to see the long glowing tubes on the ceiling. She gazed at them as if she'd never seen anything like them before. They revealed a small room filled to the very edges with a strange assortment of things. Upside down on a small table in front of us was a shining metal cup. I lifted it from the table and presented it to Jessica, who read it nervously. Nova Scotia Swimming Championship 1953. First prize, 400 metres. Joshua Douglas. Jessica seemed confused Why would my father have made such a thing? Was it for a play? Putting down the cup, she picked up a wooden frame and added And these buildings, I've seen many photographs of Peru in picture books But none of them looked remotely like this She held up a likeness of her father and an old man with white hair standing in front of tall metal buildings that looked like something the Tesh might have built. Is it not obvious? I replied. The doctor took your father to another world and another time. And this room is where he keeps his... his certificates and cups. It is his trophy room. Now, are you going to help me find whoever is trapped down here or not? After telling me that I was quite mad... Jessica protested that there was no room to trap anyone down here, and I admitted that she may be right. There were small boxes lined with dust, piles of papers, long sticks tied together with rope, faded maps of cities and continents, and a heap of old material, but no sign of anything alive. Yet still the cry lingered within me like a shadow, Thinking there might be another room concealed beyond this one, I started to throw things aside. Stop it! If Papa hears us... Great, Zoannan! If you are so afraid, go back to your mamma and your table manners and your stale meat! I shouted impatiently and carried on. When I reached the wall and found no secret door or hidden panel, I sat, defeated and sulking picking at the floorboards with my knife. Jessica watched me from the other side of the room. Are you a suffragette? she asked. I do not think so, I replied. Why? You dress like a lady of class, but you don't behave like one. Mama calls the suffragettes an abomination of nature. 
she and Papa had the most terrible argument about them only last week. Mrs. Harker Brown, who's an old friend of the family, was arrested by the police, you see. They caught her throwing paint and stones in Eaton Square at the house of a member of Parliament. Apparently, they locked her up in jail. And when she and the other women refused food as a sign of protest, they were force-fed through a rubber tube. Mama said it served them right and that they should know their place. But Papa called it a moral outrage. He said that it was perfectly correct for women to demand the vote and that we should all admire their forward thinking. And what do you think? I asked. Jessica paused and then said... I think that the whole thing is perfectly dreadful. Then she let out a sudden squeal and pointed at the floor. One of the floorboards had been splintered by my stabbing to reveal a hole beneath. A green light glowed from it. With another twist of the knife, I removed the floorboard completely. Jessica inched closer to look down into the hole and we saw three shining green buttons. I pressed them. The room transformed around us. Only the three buttons remained. Soon the narrow stone cellar had completely disappeared, and we were standing in a warm room with walls lined with books. The floor vibrated with a familiar hum. This is like the TARDIS, I said. But Jessica was speechless, staring at the strange collection of objects that surrounded us. Cloths shining in colours unlike anything I had seen before. Odd metal objects, maps and drawings. Not of forests or cities, but of worlds. And weapons. Swords, knives, crossbows, guns. At the centre of the room, bathed in a deep blue light on a raised platform was a suit of armour, big enough to hold a man taller and broader than even the Doctor. Complicated patterns on the arms sparkled blue in the light. An open panel in the breastplate revealed what looked like an inner suit made from rough brown animal hide. The headpiece was large, shaped more like a forest beast's head than a man's. Long-fingered gloves hung still at the end of enormous arms. A long tail decorated the back of the suit. It was noble, beautiful, terrifying. Jessica, still speechless, ran her fingers over the books on one of the shelves in awe, squinting in the half-light at the titles, she stopped at a small metal switch on the wall, like the one she'd pushed in her father's cellar, and pressed it. The floor shook below our feet, and then the armour began to move, only slightly at first. The twitch of a finger, a leg. But then the tail shuddered into life, sweeping from one side of the platform to the other. The animal hide heaved, straining against chest bones beneath it, and the huge head moved. <coughs> Jessica screamed. I picked up the nearest weapon, a slim white metallic gun, and pointed it at the creature. There's no need for that. 
As the creature spoke, Jessica screamed again. I slapped her. She stopped screaming. Even if I wished to harm you, which I don't, I couldn't. This force field prevents any contact between us. To demonstrate, the creature stretched its arm towards me. As it reached the edge of the blue light, the air rippled in front of us. <laughs> the creature pulled its arm back, gasping in pain. I recognized the sound immediately. I heard you before. You cried out to me upstairs. I felt you there. I knew you'd come to me. Who are you? My name is Humbrettel. I am an officer of the Zednai. The Zednai? What is that? Is, is it your tribe? The Zednai are a noble race of warriors, dedicated to maintaining order throughout the system. Or at least we were. What do you mean? The Zednai were wiped out, totally destroyed by our enemies. I am the last of our race, condemned to a life of solitude and imprisonment. Who has done this to you? It doesn't matter. All that matters is that I have been found. You can release me. You were put here for a reason. I must know that reason before I release you. You don't trust me. I do not know you. What are your names? I am Leela of the Severteam, and she is Jessica of Douglas. And do you trust me, Jessica of Douglas? The warrior turned to look at the terrified Jessica, who whimpered, pressing herself further into the bookshelves. It sighed. Forgive me. I realize that my appearance must be rather daunting. If you'll permit me. Raising his arms... The warrior twisted the large helmet and lifted it upwards and forwards, revealing its face for the first time. Expecting another scream, I moved towards Jessica, but she had stepped forward in fascination. The warrior's head was smaller than I expected. It had a long mane of golden hair, a proud chin, full dark lips, a long slender nose and wide glistening eyes that were as black as night. It blinked and lent its head to one side. Jessica moved further forward, spellbound. It's... you're beautiful, she stammered. The warrior bowed its head in response. It seems that your friend does not share your opinion. She has never seen an alien before, I said. I have. And the doctor has told me never to judge by appearances. For a split second, the creature's expression narrowed. Then, wide-eyed again, it turned towards me. The doctor is a man of many contradictions himself. You know him? Of course I do. A man of learning. He and I dined together at the Royal Palace of Kremnon on the day that the walls fell. These words mean nothing to me. We spoke of many things. Of literature, of art and poetry. My father was a particular favourite of his, as I remember. A poet whose work will outlive us all, I think. Jessica, still entranced, moved closer still. Your father wrote poetry? She breathed. 
Not all of us are... were... warriors. The Zednai boasted some of the finest philosophers of the universe, and architecture you wouldn't believe unless you saw it with your own eyes. The hanging fountains of Treklethlon, the mighty sky cities of Tnar. And yet your people were destroyed? Utterly. Why? Who can say? A desire for our mineral wealth? Our armies? Our territory? A power game? Maybe you should ask the doctor. Maybe I shall. But be aware. I know him perhaps better than you do. I doubt it. He and his people claim to act in the name of peace. He claims to fight for universal truth, but in some ways his mind is as closed as those he professes to protect. What do you mean? Maybe my words are wasted on you, who have never taken another life. I have killed. You have. And why do you kill Leela of the Seventeen? I have killed to protect myself. I have killed in sport. Have you killed with honor? Of course. And with the doctor's blessing? Not always. How well I remember his moral outrage at our customs, at our causes. He gave a finely crafted speech to our emperor, beseeched him to mend his ways and stop what he called the meaningless slaughter of billions. Then your emperor must have been misguided. He was justified, Leela of the Seventeen. He was a great man, a very great man. To have slaughtered billions? Every one of those deaths was honorable. Every one of them in a noble cause. War is always bloody. There are always sacrifices to be made. Like you, we were killing in self-protection, but unlike you, it was not in sport. I um, no longer kill in sport. The Doctor has taught me that that is wrong. And the Doctor is an authority on killing, after all. I do not understand you. The Doctor is steeped in blood. The Doctor would never kill. The Doctor destroyed my people. The creature's black eyes widened. Once again, I felt the same pain, the agony that had drawn me to this room in the first place. I had to watch my people die, one by one. My wife, my son, a mere child. I held him in my arms as he drew his last breath. I watched a mighty empire fall, crumble into dust, knowing that the man I had dined with at Kremnon was responsible, that by implication I too shared the blame. And when he imprisoned me here, condemned me to a living death in this nowhere place, all I could see were the faces of those I had served, those I had loved and admired, dying an agonizing death at his hand. I could have killed him. I could have prevented the genocide, the agony. But I didn't. I spared his life, believing his lies about a greater good. And what did he give me in return? This unending agony. This hellish non-being. This unbearable solitude. Jessica gasped. A greater good? Leela, he's telling the truth. The doctor was responsible. I do not believe you, I replied and said again. He would never do such a thing. Jessica shook her head. But he did. Papa wrote about it. Not literally, of course. If 
he'd told the truth, he would have been laughed out of the publishing houses or thrown into an asylum. But he did write a story, The Greater Good. It was about a long-lost tribe in Peru, a race that he'd encountered on his travels, a a group of savages who slaughtered every white man that trespassed on their land. Papa and his friend had a choice. Destroy the tribe or let them take their ship and put the British Empire at risk. They destroyed the tribe for the greater good. The creature bowed its head. My people have been wronged, but I have no desire for vengeance. My father's poetry spoke of tolerance, of forgiveness. As I said, his wisdom will outlive us all. I may be the last of my people, but I have no choice. I would be content if I could live what remains of my life in peace, freely, without complication or interruption. Release me. No. The creature shook its head, the mane of hair gleaming blue in the light. Jessica stared at me in disbelief. I shall speak to the doctor. Jessica, come with me. She refused to move. I shall stay here, she said. And then, when I went to grab her arm, I did... Leela, don't you see? It's just as you said. I have so much to learn here. This poor creature has seen things I can only dream of. He can tell me so much. The warrior nodded slowly. Very well, I said. Stay here, but be careful and do not touch anything. It may be lying. I walked across to the still shining buttons and pressed them. Within seconds, I was standing in the stone cellar again, but this time it was not empty. Standing in the shadows at the other end of the room was the dark, silent figure of the doctor. Hello, Leela, he said slowly. He was not smiling. So, you found my trophy room, then? I had seen him in these dark moods before. For hours he would sit in the TARDIS, staring at the wall, hands clasped in concentration. Even in the company of others he would appear remote and disinterested, as if all their worries were as nothing next to his. And then, all of a sudden, he would snap out of it and the dark cloud would pass... I knew not to cross him. I knew not to ask what he was thinking. But now I needed to know the truth about the creature in his trophy room, about his past. Doctor, I began, but he held up his hand to stop me. Leela, you didn't touch anything in there, did you? I bit my lip. I did not, no, The doctor looked down pointedly at the weapon that I still held in my hand. This is for self-protection, I argued. He held out his hand and, unwillingly, I gave it to him. Well, you wouldn't have got very far with this. It's a food blender. It is a what? Omelettes, breadcrumbs, Venusian crunk cakes. 
He flicked a button and the object burst into life. Then, with a puff of smoke, it stopped working. The doctor blew at it. Never worked. <coughs> he coughed, tossing it aside. Given to me by the head chef at Raffles Hotel in Singapore, I helped him fix a light bulb. For a moment, I thought his mood was improving. But then, as he picked up the framed picture of Jessica's father, his face darkened again. Doctor, was it you who travelled with Lord Douglas? Oh, yes, he replied. Where did you go? The doctor gazed into the distance. Oh, we went everywhere, Leela. Everywhere. Peru? The doctor's eyebrows lifted slightly. Probably. We travelled together for quite some time. Then why did you stop travelling together? I asked him. The doctor sighed. We had a... disagreement. What about? Doesn't matter now, he said, looking down at the picture again. Was it about a tribe? I insisted. The doctor looked pained. In a way, he replied, yes. I suppose you might call it a tribe. You see, I had a choice to make, Leela. A choice about the tribe. And Lord Douglas disagreed with me about the choice I made. Somewhere in the house a clock was striking. The doctor looked up, distracted by the sound. But you made it for the greater good, I offered. The greater good, the doctor repeated thoughtfully. Then suddenly stared at me. Leela, are you sure you didn't touch anything in there? I opened my mouth to speak, but the doctor interrupted me. Jessica, he said. Where is she? She is in the trophy room. What? You left her alone in there, he shouted. I told her to touch nothing, I shouted back, and then barred his way as he darted towards the open floorboard. Doctor, what is that creature in there? For a moment, he looked so furious that I thought he might hit me. Instead, he sidestepped me completely and fell to his knees, punching the green buttons. The room changed again, but this time the sight that greeted us was different. The floor was a mass of books and paper. To one side of us, the shelves had been completely emptied. On the other side, they'd been destroyed. A gaping hole in the wall revealed a long, dark stone corridor, similar to the one leading down to the cellar. At the end of it, I could see steps and a wooden door. The weapons and colourful clothes and cloths were scattered everywhere, but the main difference was the light. Rather than being a deep blue like before, it was dark red. And the platform was empty. The set-night creature had been set free. Leela, tell me exactly what happened, the doctor ordered, throwing aside books and papers as he searched through the debris. There was a creature, a, a warrior. I thought it was a suit of armour, but Jessica turned on a switch. It, it came to life. It, it spoke to us. And what did he say? A book flew through the air. It talked about you. It said you killed its tribe. I bet he did, the doctor bellowed. Go on! 
Doctor, did you? Did you kill the Zednai? The Doctor stopped searching for a moment and stared at me, his eyes wider than I'd ever seen them before. Well, of course I didn't. We disagreed, remember? Leela, I told you. No, you did not, I argued. But the doctor began his search again. Carry on, he barked. What else did Hungbrackle say? I told him what I could remember of our conversation. When I got to the bit about the warrior living the rest of its life in peace, he snorted. <laughs> well, that's rubbish for a start, he said. That's the last thing he... Aha! With a victorious cry, the doctor held up a small black box, smiling. Well, that's a relief. Oh. His smile dropped as he looked closely at the box. A wire was hanging out of it. One side of it was burnt. Now we really are in trouble. Dropping the box, the doctor leapt to his feet and raced through the hole in the wall and down the corridor. I followed him. Doctor, what was that box? Jamming device. Put here just in case he woke up and tried to communicate with the other Zednai. One of the first things they did in the campaign was to steal a time capsule, a primitive one. But in their hands it could do no end of damage. That was one of the reasons why the Time Lords sent me in to stop them in the first place. But I thought the other Zednai were all dead. Most of them are, yes, but there are still a few odd ones here and there, in hiding, living a quiet life in the back of beyond, all hoping beyond hope that one day their emperor will rise again and lead them in their so-called noble course. The creature told me that their emperor was dead, I protested. The doctor stopped suddenly. No, Leela, he said darkly. The Emperor of the Zednai is most probably running loose in a society house in Edwardian England. His name is Humbrackle, and the killing has already begun. He pointed grimly down to the base of the steps where, crumpled like a toy, lay Jessica's lifeless body. Eventually, 270G. You all talk eventually. It might take days or weeks. We might have to starve the information out of you or torture a friend in front of you. You'd be surprised how loose the tongue can get when our guests, uh, sorry, prisoners, are in delirious need of water or when they see their fellow prisoners' guts spilling out onto the floor in front of them. Threaten me all you will, said Nye. I shall not. 
头。Now then, where were we? Oh yes, the lost world, time travel. I need you to tell me how. Jessica lay small and motionless on the cold floor. Her neck was snapped. I told the doctor, who, after stopping for a moment at the bottom of the steps, started to climb them quickly. The creature is strong. We shall need more than this knife to kill it. Which of the weapons would serve best? Do you think? The doctor stopped at the top of the steps. We're not going to kill him, Leela. I opened my mouth to protest, but he turned, opened the door, and commanded me to stay. I ran back to the doctor's trophy room and picked up a large spear, testing it for size. I nodded and ran to join the doctor. But when I opened the door at the top of the steps, I found only a wall. No, no! Furious, I returned to the trophy room, found the green buttons, and punched them. As I appeared in the cellar again, there was a loud scream from above. The warrior had obviously killed Lady Douglas. Emerging into the servants' hall, I saw that it had also killed the two whispering girls. My grip firm on the spear, I ran upstairs past Williams, whose terrified face looked more alive now than it had done when he lived, and towards the large room where the Tardis had first arrived. The corpse of Lady Douglas lay by the door. I stepped over it. Through the doorway, I could see Lord Douglas held in the air by his neck. The doctor was begging the warrior to let him go. Why should I, doctor? If you truly are the doctor, this creature has no worth. Not to you, maybe. The doctor argued, appalled. It is nothing. An insect. He's a human being. The doctor shouted. Lord Douglas had stopped thrashing about, and his body grew limp in the warrior's grip. Exactly, and therefore of no use to me or to my army. The warrior dropped the body. The doctor immediately dropped to his knees beside it, felt for a pulse, and found none. Will it never end, Humbrackle? He growled, his face contorted in fury. All this senseless killing. Senseless. The warrior rose to its full height, its bare breast gleaming. No, Doctor, not senseless. We are purifying the system, ridding it of deviants and lesser beings. The universe has been infected with Homo sapiens for too many years, and only when we purged it of imperfection will we stop. And what gives you the right to decide who deserves to live or die? The doctor demanded. You decided that the Zedni weren't worthy to live, Doctor. What gave you that right? I gave you a choice, Humbrackle. Stop the murder. Close the purification camps. End the conversions or face the consequences. How noble! How self-righteous! The warrior stepped towards him. I gave you a choice as well, Doctor. Do you remember? I offered you a place at my side, a life of glory, a position of power in the new system from where you could ensure that the new Zedni race could uphold everything you held dear. The doctor stood. Humbrackle, you offered me conversion. You would allow me to advise you, but only on the provision that I became like you—a clone, 
Like the rest of your army, you wanted to strip me of my individuality. Naturally, Doctor. How could I allow anything else? How could I allow a lesser creature, an imperfect being, to rule at my side after everything we had achieved? For a moment, the two of them stood staring at each other in silence, like soldiers waiting for the other to make the first attack. Then I sensed movement. As the warrior's huge hand twitched towards the doctor's neck, I threw the spear towards its bare chest. In a flash, it lifted its other hand, caught the weapon and snapped it in two. Before I had a chance to move, it had leapt across the room and pushed me against the wall. Its long fingers clasped my throat. I tried to pull its arm away but only managed to lightly scratch its cheek before its other arm rendered me helpless. This little one has... Courage, Doctor. It almost seems a shame to kill it without a... a fight. I do not fear you, nor do I fear death. But if you kill me now... <sighs> the warrior snorted, foam dripping from its nostrils, its breath rank. At first I thought it was laughing, but then, as its stranglehold weakened, I realised that its whole body had started to shudder. It was in pain. No, not now. I thought I'd escaped. You lied to me, Doctor. You told me I was immune to it. The Doctor watched grimly as the warrior staggered backwards. Doctor... You cannot allow me to die. Not like this. Not like the others. Spare me, Doctor. I beg you, spare me. What is happening? He's killing me, Leela of the Sever Team. Like he killed all my people. Then die. Join your people in hell as you deserve to. The warrior slumped to the floor. Suddenly, the doctor leapt forward and, lifting its arms, told me to take its feet. To my surprise, we hauled the shaking body across the room to the TARDIS, inside it and down a corridor I had not seen before. The warrior's breaths became shallow and its skin began to change from brown to grey. At the end of the corridor, three buttons on the wall glowed green. The doctor stabbed them with his elbow. And we were standing at the top of the steps by the trophy room, where before there had only been a wall. Where is this place, Doctor? I asked, confused. In the house or, or in the TARDIS? Neither, he replied, pulling the creature down the corridor. Sort of in between. And then he said something I didn't understand about temporal locks. I looked confused. Never mind, he said heaving the warrior onto the raised platform, scattering books as he did so. Not understanding what he was doing, I watched the doctor take a small glass file from his pocket, squeeze it between his fingers, and, as the glass shattered, spread the thick liquid within on the warrior's breast. It had an instant effect. The skin, which had appeared lifeless only seconds before, turned brown. Its eyes flickered open... The strength returned to its limbs. It stood just as the doctor flicked a switch and the room glowed again with blue light. What have you done? I demanded. Doctor, have you cured it? 
The doctor nodded gravely. Why? He gazed at the warrior, whose jaw was starting to move as if attempting to speak. Because if I had let him die, I would have been no better than the Zednai, he said. But you let all the others die, I argued. Yes. He sighed. Though strictly speaking, Joshua was the one who released the virus in the first place. He made the decision to kill or be killed. Then he was right, I said. The doctor shook his head. No, Leela, it's not as simple as that. The Zed and I were once a truly noble, peace-loving race. Humbreckle's father was an inspiring leader. He was a fool. The creature snarled. He thought we could live in harmony with the vermin of the universe. The Time Lords, Homo sapiens, all of the lesser species. He said that they had as much right to exist as the Zednai. His liberal views were totally unacceptable to my people. Not to your people, the Doctor argued. To you! You bullied and brainwashed your people into unspeakable crimes, a way of life condemned by every thinking being in the cosmos. I tried to appeal to the compassion that the Zednai once had. And you failed. My people sided with me because they knew I was right, and for that faith you killed them. The doctor paced around the room. I wanted to cure them. I tried to devise an antidote, but thanks to you, they were so distrustful, so prejudiced, that they were too afraid to let me. They locked me up. Just as you imprisoned me here. This isn't a prison, Humbreckle, said the doctor. It's a quarantine cell. You're the carrier, the infector. By putting you here, I hope to save you and your people. I came back here today to cure you. To free you from infection completely. Joshua thought I was wrong. He wanted me to kill you. Even this evening he told me I was a fool not to. But I thought that if I could cure you, I could return you to your own time and you could lead what remained of your people into a new, enlightened age. <laughs> then he was right, Doctor. By saving me, you have signed the death warrant for all the lesser beings that contaminate the universe. My people will find me and together we shall raise an army even mightier than before. I will crush you like insects underfoot and then... The warrior's face froze in mid-sentence, its long body leaning forward in defiance. Have you killed it, Doctor? No, Leela, he replied grimly. There's been too much death today. He'll stay here like this forever. Then that is no better than death, I argued. Doctor, I do not understand you. The doctor pressed his finger to his lips and whispered, While there's life, there's hope, Leela. And then started to pace around the room again. What I don't understand is how did he become infected? He was the carrier. He never developed the disease until this evening. Why did that happen? A bell echoed through the room, interrupting the doctor's thoughts. 
Within minutes, we'd emerged from the TARDIS into a room now filled with light. Outside the house, the trees were bending under the force of a great wind from the sky. A terrible roar filled the air, the grass scorched by fire. What is it? The end of the world? Could be. It's a Zednai angel of war. An angel? I questioned him as the roar became louder. But I thought you said there was no such thing as magic and angels. An angel of war? is a spaceship, and this one is about to... The doctor's words were cut off as a huge, dish-like object sank from the sky into the grounds of the house, smashing the windows and sending a hot torrent of air across the room. And then... Silence. Doctor, I whispered, how are we to protect ourselves? Should we return to the TARDIS? Doctor! The doctor was no longer standing by my side, but on the floor. A large piece of wood from the window frame had knocked him over. His cheek was bleeding, his eyes closed. Doctor! Doctor, wake up! Outside, a doorway opened in the gaming ship, and with a groan of metal, a ramp After a moment's stillness, the heavy clunk of boots on metal announced the arrival of Zed Nye soldiers. I tried to drag the doctor's unconscious body towards the TARDIS, but was stopped by the searing heat of weapon fire. You will remain where you are, Homo sapien. There were about 30 warriors standing in a line in front of the spaceship, their guns pointed towards the house. One of them walked forward, its armour shining in the moonlight. It stepped through the broken glass doors to the garden and stood looking down at me. What is the year? I stood to face the helmeted soldier. I do not know. That is unacceptable. I do not come from this time or from this world. That is impossible. It is the truth. You are lying. Our initial scan did not identify any advanced technology. This world is in the Dark Ages. Therefore, you are lying. The soldiers stepped towards the house and then turned to watch as the ship darkened, seemed to blur in front of us, and then finally exploded into dust. Temporal destruction as we anticipated. The warrior turned towards me, lifted its arms, and unbuckling its helmet, revealed its face. Umbrackle. But that is not possible. I saw you imprisoned. I am not Umbrackle. Yes, you are. I am not. But you look... you sound exactly the same. I was reborn in my emperor's image. Where is he? You will take me to him. I cannot. You can, and you shall, Homo sapien. When he is released, we shall conquer this world and use it as our new center of power. It is a backward planet, but we have no choice. The time capsule could make only one journey. That journey will not be wasted. The human race will be converted, and the walls of Kremnon will rise once more. 
Where is Humbrekel? I do not know. Growling, the warrior stepped towards me and grabbed my face. Instinctively, I lashed out with my arms, hitting its chest, exposed like Humbrekel's through an open panel in its armour. It flinched, then dug its gloved fingers into my cheeks. I should kill you for that worm. When you have told me the information I need... Suddenly the warrior's nostrils flared and a string of foam emerged. Its skin began to change, just as Humbrekel's had done. If anything, the effect was more rapid than before. Releasing its grip on me, the warrior clawed at its face, which had started to blister and age before me. One of the other soldiers stepped forward... It shouted to the others. Dengobi is infected. Eliminate immediately. The line of soldiers pointed their guns at the staggering warrior and fired. In seconds, its body burned. The one who had given the command walked up to me. This one has spirit. It may be useful. Restrain it here. We will search the dwelling. As the other soldiers marched off into the house, one of them remained. Its gun pointed towards me. Are you the same as Humbrekel as well? Were you reborn in his image? We are all the same. We are his elite. Then tell me, if you are the same as him, why do you need him? He is our leader. He is our inspiration. He will lead us into the final battle. What is your name? My name is irrelevant. Then why have one? My name is Kumbafi. Kumbafi. Were you always a soldier, Kumbafi? No. I was once an architect. But that was part of the old life. Now I am one of the elite. I am a soldier. And when the final battle is won? When there are no more battles to be fought, what will you be then? What purpose will you serve? My purpose is to uphold the creed of my emperor. You would die for him? Of course, if he wished it. And you would kill for him? Naturally. Why do you reveal your breast? Why wear armour that leaves you vulnerable to attack? Our vulnerability is our strength. With our skin open to attack, we are always vigilant, always aware of our enemy's every move. I do not understand. Why am I your enemy? I have never challenged your people... The people of this world have no knowledge of your existence, and yet you call them your enemies. They are different to us. They must be eradicated. I do not... Our emperor trusted your kind once. In the vast war of the third generation of Kremnon, they fought side by side with us, and yet they betrayed us. Humbrekel taught us how they undermined our campaigns, how they grew rich and powerful, spread across the system like a disease. And you fought in this vast war? No. I was a child then. And your family? My family are dead. I am sorry. Their deaths are unimportant. There is a greater cause now. The doctor's eyes flickered open. How did they die? They were slaughtered by the disease. The one that killed the rest of your people? The same disease, yes, but before. Before? The first time. The time before the purification. Some say that it was created in the palace laboratories... They speak heresy. They claim that the Emperor himself condoned its creation, that in the time of the Great Death he alone walked immune. But I thought the Doctor had created... You know of the Doctor? The warrior let his weapon drop to his hip and moved closer. How can you know of the Doctor? He's almost silently 
I heard the doctor hush me from the floor. Yes, I... I know about him. Why do you? Of course. Many spoke of him before the great death. A few dared to say that he was our hope for a different future. A better future to the one that the Emperor promised. A time of peace rather than war. Rebuilding rather than purification. And you, Kumbafi, what did you believe? What I believed then is irrelevant. The non-believers were thrown into the purification camps with the vermin and lesser species. I survived. I am loyal to Humbrekel. Do not doubt it. Suddenly the doctor leapt to his feet and throwing himself against the warrior toppled him, sending the gun flying. He darted towards it. Using both hands, I thumped the warrior squarely on the chest. It squealed in anguish. Then, as the doctor picked up the gun and aimed it towards the warrior, its skin began to blister and foam, dripped from beneath its helmet. As we watched, it struggled to open the helmet, and when it had done so, collapsed to the floor and breathed its last. What happened? I asked the doctor, who was examining the corpse. Then moving across to the charred remains of the first soldier, he said, I'm not really very sure, Leela. Wait a moment. This is odd. What happened to this one? It's got the disease, I replied. So the other warriors shot it. And had you touched him? This one? He asked. I told him exactly what had happened. Then that's it, Leela. That's what's happened. For some reason, you become a carrier, a catalyst... Like Mbrackle once was. I have? Leela, we might have found ourselves some bargaining power. Now then. Before he could say anything else, we heard the approaching footsteps of Zednai soldiers, one of them barking orders to the others. They walked into the room. The self-appointed leader, now without its helmet, looked first at the doctor and then at the newly dead warrior. What has happened to Kumbafi? Who are you? I'm the doctor, he started. You are lying. The warrior raised its gun and with a roar I launched myself at its head, grabbing its hair. It spun round and as it did so I saw the first blister appear on its face. Another warrior stepped into the room. Seeing it distracted by the sight of its new leader falling to its knees, I took my opportunity and lashed out at its bare chest. No, Leela, the doctor shouted, just as another helmetless warrior stepped into the room. I hesitated and immediately regretted it as it swiped me aside with its fist. I fell heavily against the wall, dazed. It raised its weapon and pointed it towards the doctor. Dizzily, I pushed myself towards the warrior and spat at its face. As I sank to the floor, the room spinning, the third warrior's skin was darkening where my spit had hit it. Within minutes, all three of them were dead. A foul-smelling steam rose from the corpses. The doctor was appalled. Leela! He began, but was stopped by the arrival of another warrior. You will tell us where you have imprisoned our leader. The doctor held up his hands in surrender. Listen. Listen, he begged. I can show you where we've put him, but first... The remaining warriors were clutching at their chests, their helmets leaking foam. Oh, the doctor cried, the virus has become airborne. Get out of here, the rest of you. You have to get out. But the 
doctor's pleas had fallen upon deaf ears. One by one, the soldiers fell to the floor. One by one, they died. We stood in silence, the doctor's face grey and unmoving. An hour later, the doctor emerged from the cellar holding a metal can from which he was slopping an evil-smelling liquid. He had not said a word to me since that last warrior had died. Having drenched the curtains and carpets of every room with the liquid, he opened the TARDIS door. Doctor, I began. He threw the can aside and held up a small box. I failed, Leela, he said solemnly, almost silently. I failed my friends. I failed my people. I even failed the future. We must burn everything. There mustn't be anything left here. What did you do to Humbrakel? I asked. Nobody will ever find him, he replied. The Zednai Empire lay at the universe's darkest hour. None of this can ever happen again. We'll never come back here, Lena. You interest me, 270G. So old, so close to death, and yet you have the strength to equal any of our soldiers. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe you would have been right for conversion after all. What was your name? What was that, 270G? Your name. What was your name before the purification? The purification? Well, well, well. It knows something of our ancient history. You were not always like this. You did not always have the face of Humbrekel. You've heard tales of our founding emperor. How fascinating. I know that your ancestors had more courage than you. I know that they were not afraid to show their vulnerability... In front of their enemy. Oh, really? An open panel in their armor. Revealing. Revealing. An absurd custom. One that we abandoned centuries ago, when the Zednai race was scattered across the universe before this final campaign. But I'm sure you'd appreciate my own personal custom. An acknowledgement of my roots, as it were. I like to look my enemies in the eye before I kill them. I... I will give you... a choice, said I. Oh, will you? Will you indeed? Stop the killing. Close the purification camps. End the conversions. And... I will spare you. 
The Severteam spoke of our first and most noble warrior with reverence. She sacrificed herself to save her tribe. Her name lived on through every generation, an inspiration to all those who came after her. In my death, whenever it comes, I shall also honor her. I will die neither afraid nor unenlightened, for like her, I am and always shall be Leela of the Severteam. Thank <laughs> you.